You're listening to Parents You've Got This, the expert guide to parenthood. The complete guide to pregnancy, birth, baby and parenthood. This podcast is brought to you by Parents You've Got This and proudly supported by Mastella. Mastella is a natural origin skincare for babies and children, recommended by healthcare professionals. Mastella by Parents' Side since 1950. We all know that pain is inevitable for birth, but I think there's a lot of confusion around the different options available. Um, we're very excited that today we welcome back our regular guest, Dr. Peter Jesevic, to talk all about pain options and implications for both mother and baby. Thank you so much for joining us again today, Pete. Dr. Peter is an obstetrician and gynaecologist with more than 27 years of experience. He specialises in high-risk obstetrics and he works in both public and private practice in Melbourne. He is also an Australian pioneer of the maternally assisted caesarean. So he is absolutely amazing. He's delivered more than six and a half thousand babies and we are really, really fortunate to have him talking with us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here, Pete. So, the all-important topic of pain medication. Can you talk us through, please, what some of the options are for pain meds and then what the implications are for mother and baby and the implications it can have on the birth outcome? Sure. So, as you alluded to at the beginning, uh, there is an inevitability to labour if you're going to birth and, and have an attempt at a natural birth, vaginal delivery. Um, and that's just going to be contractions. And for most women, they'll be experienced as pain um, of varying severity, varying frequency, varying duration. Uh, I think one of the key parts to the, the talk is really focusing away from medication initially and focusing on education uh, and focusing on some of the natural options available uh, and education being one of the key words. Um, I was very blessed having trained as an obstetrician and delivering babies. My job was very reactive. So it was all about reacting to pain, reacting to delivery assistance issues, problems that might occur during birth, but not much that was in relation to the preparative process. Uh, and then I watched my partner go through her first pregnancy, our first pregnancy, and she was very fearful of pain relief, and in particular epidural, and her biggest fear was the thought of someone putting a needle in her back. Very fearful of that idea, irrespective of whether she might need it. So she took it upon herself to investigate options, and she came across uh, Lamar's calm birthing, hypnobirthing practices, and this active birthing practice is where you're educated to learn how to breathe and relax, and in some respects, it's almost like a yoga meditative way of training your mind and your body and your breathing so that when you're getting the contractions or surges or whatever terminology you use, you can manage that pain. And you go to a class and you are taught the skills and then you practice. And, and dare I say, practice is important in any aspect of life. You know, we practice, we train for sporting events, we, we uh, study for exams. We're always doing things in preparation. When you're trying to push a baby out of your body and go through the pain associated, you need to train for that. So there's very good data sets, good statistical scientific evidence as this helps. So education, birth education, Lamar's breathing, crucial. It takes a lot of the fear out as well, okay? Now, when you're at home in the early phases of an evolving labor, and let's assume it's your first labor and there's an evolution of pain that might come every half an hour, every 15 minutes, every 20 minutes, maybe in coordinate, uh, maybe more coordinate, but nonetheless, it's getting sore. You've got to start thinking about your strategies. Now your strategies may be something as simple as just using those breathing techniques. And when I say as simple as, complex taught skills that you'll learn. Uh, some women will use their bath or shower and water therapy has been very effective for a lot of women in helping to manage pain, just that soothing capacity, the buoyancy, uh, the tactile stimulation, the combination of all those things. Uh, there are some women who have investigated and have already bought or borrowed a, a TENS machine. This is a little electrode that uh, uses electrical current battery generated 
and the little strips are placed on your lower back and it's it's diagram advice so your partner can do it for you and as you get a contraction you press the button and it sends a little uh, low voltage amount of um, electricity into your lower back and what it does is it tries to trick your pain fibers so it tries to trick them into not feeling the pain that's going around into your abdomen and all of these solutions you can do it or, or options rather you can do at home okay um, obviously positions you're in your partner speaking with you the birth affirmations you're listening to local massage like tactile points your partner might have been taught some skills all options there'll come a point for most women that they're going to want to birth in a hospital I, I do say there will be a few that won't but most are nowadays and so when you come to hospital, coming to hospital doesn't mean you have to be medicalized, it just means you're coming to hospital. And usually you're coming because the pain and the contractions and the labor is intensified and so you want to birth at the hospital. Okay. Now for someone when they come in, they are still using those techniques and the hospital will support the ongoing use of those techniques. You're breathing, using the TENS, using the water therapy. Obviously um, you can't do the water therapy and the TENS at the same time being a, a small voltage current associated with it. There'll come a point though where if those solutions aren't helping you, then we start to look at medication. Okay, so medication ironically can be gas. Gas is ironically, I guess, technically a medication. What it is is it's nitrous oxide and it's basically mixed at a percentage with air or oxygen. And you can inhale this, and as you inhale it, you'll hear a little rattling noise to indicate you're inhaling properly. And when you inhale it during the course of a contraction, it can provide you with a slight sedative or analgesic effect. For some women it's very effective and that's all they'll need to do on top of what they've done. Uh, some women might feel a bit nauseated from it, some women will be very spaced out from it and some women it won't touch the sides. But it's an option and it's there to use if you wish to and the midwives in labour would, would guide you to that. Uh, we are happy to offer an injection of morphine. Uh, in previous years pethidine was used, morphine more so nowadays. Ironically, believe it or not, many, many years ago, we used to use medical grade heroin in labor because of its narcotic analgesic effect. But a dose of morphine to the right person at the right time can be a circuit breaker. So if you're starting to lose a bit of control, it might just take the edge off the intensity of the pain you're having with each of those contractions. Does it affect the baby, morphine? So in very, very rare situations, if you have a timed dose of morphine and say within a short time frame, for argument's sake, within an hour you deliver, a very small percentage of babies can get a narcotic effect, so what we call narcotized. They come out a little bit stunned. And if we can see that that baby is coming out stunned, not just because some babies do come out a bit stunned, their blood pressure is a bit low, their partial pressure of oxygen is low, they just need a moment to get themselves going. This is a bit of a sort of a morphine stun. We can either raise the baby up appropriately for you, um, or we can also give a little bit of like uh, reversing agents. So what we would give to a drug overdose patient, believe it or not. And it's amazing sometimes in the very rare situation where that's needed, uh, how the baby is lying there and it just wakes up it's, and it starts crying straight away. So uh, fear not, it's, it's a very low risk option and safe to give. There are of course gonna be a percentage of women and interestingly, certainly with current data, about 40% of first time mums who labor, try to have a baby, uh, will request an epidural. And I don't blame women for making that choice. Uh, an epidural has the advantage that once it goes in, in almost every exception, in almost every case, you will be numb from the waist down. You will be pain free. And um, the way that it's administered and a little catheter that's placed at the time of insertion means we can keep topping up the dose and administering yourself with a little button that you will be um, advised on how to use and press. So you can keep the dose in your back topped up so you'll be numb all the way until you deliver because you might get that epidural two hours to go or you might get that epidural 13 hours to go and so it needs to work the whole time. Now, epidurals 
almost always work and work well and will give you great pain relief. But what we need to understand is that there are physiological consequences to epidurals. So when the epidural goes in, not only does it make it that you have no pain, but all the sensations that you lose mean that you might not know when you're fully and when you're ready to push. And it might be hard to push because you don't have any sensory feedback. Uh, because it alters some of your local physiology, your blood pressure can drop. If your blood pressure drops, you might not feel well with that. Sometimes the baby might not like that and we might see that on monitoring. And because we're also changing some of the uh, local physiology, it can change, I guess, the physiology to the uterus. So the uterus may not work as well, may not contract as well. And so sometimes we might have to help assist contractions. Now, this is not every single case. But one of the things I usually say as a rough guide to women is that please have an epidural if you need it, but please think about the five options I've just given you. Mm -hmm. Breathing, water, TENS, gas, morphine. And then when that all is being exhausted, have, them, have the epidural. But just understand if you have the epidural, it's going to potentially alter the birthing outcome. So we know probably from a statistical perspective that for women having an epidural, it probably doubles your chances of intervention down the course of your labour. Needing water's broken when maybe they didn't need to be. Needing a drip for medication, contraction support, maybe you didn't need that. Needing help to assist the birth because you couldn't push the baby out yourself. Fetal distress leading to seizures. So you are upping the chances of consequences to the birth. Now a lot of people listening now will probably say, well, I better not have an epidural. And of course, I would say, yeah, try not to. But you need to understand there will be a point for 40% of women, we know this, where it, the pain will just be too unbearable. And so if you need the epidural, don't feel dismayed accept that you need it and trust that hopefully the birth process will still be okay and we can help support you if there are challenges during the course of the birth when the epidural is in. And is there a point where it's too late to have an epidural or can you have a birth plan? I know you've said that you want to try all of these things but what if you're petrified of pain and so you just think okay I just want the epidural as soon as I come in? I think for me particularly as a male doctor um, to, to look a woman in the eye and say you can't have pain relief would just be ridiculous. Mm. Every woman is entitled to pain relief. Uh, I think I just point out what I've just told you, the statistics, the awareness of the other options, the yeah. vital importance of preparation and, and birth education and Lamar's and so on. But I think at the end of the day if an epidural is required or you just want to have that, that's totally fine, that's your choice as long as you understand the old notion of informed consent, what the consequences may be. Okay. Um, and then, of course, if you have that epidural, then you accept that those consequences will come with it. There is this, this notion of, what if you say, Peter, I can't have an epidural? Now, to look a woman in the eye and say, you can't have an epidural, a lot of viewers would think, well, that's quite barbaric, and how dare you, as the male doctor, say no to a woman's mm. pain relief. When I say no to a woman to, for an epidural, I'm saying that because I am near certain she's going to have a baby very soon. So I'm near certain by the time the anaesthetist comes in, puts a drip in, can sense her, puts the epidural in, and then it works, she's probably going to be fully in pushing the baby out. And unless I miss the boat, the best way to have good pain relief is to not be in labour. You push a baby out, the pain stops straight away. So if I'm confident you're about to have the baby, and I'm really confident in the way I can work with you, and the midwife will work with you, to get your psychology right so you're losing control, but we get you back online so you can start pushing well, and you push and push the baby out, and I'm confident you'll do that, that's better than having an epidural. So when I say no, I would like to think people I look after, their brain would go, great, that's Pete telling me I'm about to have my baby. And so it's not instant um, getting an epidural. There's a time lag between asking for one and having one. How long is that yeah. time? So look, be it in the public or the private sector, based on you know how busy the labor wards are, how many women have already requested an epidural, how many staff there are to administer the epidural, 
time of the day at night if you're in a hospital and then in the uh, anaesthetist might have to drive in so there can be a time delay associated with this depending on where you birth and how you birth and so on but we would like to say that you'll be able to get the epidural in a timely fashion uh, in, and, and also we can support you in that time from your request until when the epidural is administered and works. Fantastic, Pete. Thank you so much. And thank you for talking us through it in such a staged approach too, where you know we know that you really recommend and believe in those early non-medical options for dealing with pain relief first before you move through the different um, medicinal options that are available. So thank you very much for sharing your wisdom on the podcast today. A huge thanks to Mustella for sponsoring this episode. If you want a product that can protect your baby's skin against nappy rash, try Mustella's Vitamin Barrier Cream. Dermatologist and paediatrician tested, it soothes the skin from the first application and offers long-lasting protection that lasts until the next nappy change. Recommended by 98% of Aussie parents. Next week on the podcast, we'll have Dr. Peter Jersevic back again to talk to us all about medical inductions and assisted deliveries. Um, you've been listening to the Expert Guide to Parenthood podcast. And never forget, parents, you've got this. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, a discussion with your doctor or healthcare professional. Parents You've Got This take no responsibility for any medical decisions made by individuals based on the information provided in this podcast. Join a Parents You've Got This masterclass today to be prepared, excited and educated for pregnancy, birth, baby and parenthood. Visit www.parentsyou'vegotthis.com.au and sign up for a masterclass today.